Uh, well, thank you, Kevin. I appreciate that very much. And Greg, for leading Christmas songs, thank you uh, for doing that, for singing. Uh, Merry Christmas to you guys. Um, I'm uh, excited about the Christmas season. I always look forward to that, and I hope in some way you do too. Um, and let me just do a quick uh, question here. How many of us are done with our Christmas shopping? A bunch of overachievers in the room. All right, because we still got a full week, right? Well, here's what I learned um, from my kids, that if I, want to, if I want to hit a jackpot for my kids uh, shopping for Christmas, which, by the way, I, I don't buy them stuff anyway, my wife does. But anyway, if I were to buy gifts for my kids, that's, that's almost true. Anyway, here's what I learned, that I could just basically give them a gift card to here, all right? $5 to Goodwill, they'll come back with 600 sweatshirts, right, and four pairs of pants. I mean, they just go and uh, raid the bins at, uh, at Goodwill, and then we uh, just get some stuff off of them when they get home. Anyway, uh, but they, they really love this. I don't know about you. It's been a while since I've been there, but evidently this is kind of a place to go, right? Now, here's something that's kind of cool, though, about Goodwill. You may already notice this in the logo. I think it's kind of interesting. I love the G, and I love how they've kind of wrapped up part of their value in the fact that they want to do Goodwill within their logo, that half-smiley face that it creates in that space. You see that? Isn't that kind of cool? Kind of more than meets the eye at first, which made me think, like, what are some other logos or things that do that, kind of more than meets the eye? And it also made me think of Baskin-Robbins. Who doesn't like ice cream around this time of year? But maybe you noticed that there's a 31 in the Baskin-Robbins logo, and I don't know if you know that, but the 3-1 that's pink, that means it stands for their value that every day of the month, you should get a new ice cream flavor, as if that's a human right. Like, that's what that 31 means there. That's what they want to give to you. So that's what Baskin-Robbins does. Uh, let's go local for a minute, a local brand, Hershey Kisses. I don't know if you ever noticed the kiss that's sideways in the Kisses logo. It's easier to see if I put it this way, that right in between the K and the I is kind of a sideways kiss. Wow. <laughs> That was deeply meaningful for us. That's good. I mean, we could almost, we had a moment. We just shared a moment together. That's really good. That's really good. There's, there's um, speaking of chocolate, there's also Toblerone. I don't know if you guys like Toblerone, but evidently this was um, created in uh, Bern, Switzerland, I believe. And in Bern, there's mountains in Switzerland. And so you have actually the B-E-R-N in Toblerone is in there for Bern. But beyond that, um, there, it's also as a place known for its bears. Uh, and so if you look at the mountain, and if you look a little closer, you'll see the bear in the mountain. Some of you are slowly seeing that. Some of you are like, no, I don't see it. If you don't, that's on you, not me. I don't care. You look it up. No, I'm, I do care about you. I really do. If you can't, that could be because the quality isn't good. Anyway, so there's a bear in the mountain. You can trust me on that or not. That's up to you. Finally, this is one that I can't not see now, and some of you already know this one, um, FedEx. I never realized until someone told me not too long ago that the, um, uh, the blank space or the, the negative space in between the E and the X create an arrow uh, for FedEx, and that shows that they're driving forward with what they do. Now, I didn't see it until someone told me, and now I can't not see the arrow that is in there between the E and the X. Um, so, which, which kind of makes the point this morning that I kind of want to make, and that is this, that there is more to life, you know this, there's more to life than meets the eye. There's more to this stuff that we see than meets the eye. And if you haven't experienced that yet, then you either um, have never had a girlfriend or a wife ask you, how do I look? You're in dangerous territory when you get that question. There's more to life than meets uh, the eye. Uh, or you've never had your full name used at home by a mom or a dad, because you know they're, they're not just calling you over. There's more that meets the eye. It's not only true for life, but I'll say this, and this is what I want to talk about this morning, that there's not only more to life than meets the eye, but I want to make the case that there's more to faith than meets the eye. 
And that this morning in the text of Scripture that we're going to get into in a minute, I think what we see um, the early uh, writer Paul giving us a picture of is how our faith in Christ infuses a kind of meaning to everything that we do that gives it another sense of purpose or a deeper sense of hope, deeper sense of meaning than would exist without it. Not unlike any of these logos, and we see what they try to write into or draw into their, their look, I would argue from what we're going to read this morning that faith in Jesus, what Jesus really does, if I can put it this way, when I ask the question in the series, what does Jesus really do? Not just that he's, a, a, again, an image or a vibe or an icon, but who, what does Jesus really actually do? I, I make the case that Jesus lifts our vision to help us see more. He lifts our vision to help us see more in, in what a marriage can be, in what it means to be successful, in what it means to be a good student, in what it means to have my identity rooted in a secure place, in what it means to be someone who can handle adversity in a strong way, that Jesus actually brings us more and lifts our vision. He actually does this. And I, I get this from the letter that we're reading in Colossians chapter 3. And so I want to invite you to turn in the Bible with me to Colossians chapter 3. It's a little letter that Paul wrote to the early church in Colossae. It's in the right two-thirds of your Bible. If you don't own a Bible, there's one in the chair near you. It's our gift uh, to you. Uh, Merry Christmas. Now, you can pull it up on the version app, whatever you want to do. But Colossians chapter 3, and I want to spend a, a few minutes talking with you through the first 11 verses. And I want to be clear, as clear as I can with you, that I think what Jesus lifts our vision to is actually five specific things, five specific things that he helps us lift our vision to. In fact, as I was preparing for this message, I thought, I'm not going to do any one of these five points justice. Um, and I'm almost outlining what could be a five-part series that we could go in-depth on. So I just want to say that, that each of these has significant um, trails that you could go down to understand what is happening even in a deeper way. So we're going to go through this, and I hope that we'll still be helpful for you. We're going to cover the first 11 verses. And so let's get into reading what Paul wrote to this early church in verse 1 of chapter 3. He starts there and he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now, here's where we start. Uh, we're going to kind of go verse by verse or a couple of verses at a time this morning. And this opening, this opening phrase, set your, right, set your heart in verse 1 and set your mind in verse 2, um, it, it technically has this idea of, of kind of taking your desires and placing your desires here. In other words, what is it that you really want? What, what Paul is talking about here is that your desire will be set with Christ so that when I wake up in the morning and when I kind of get started with my day, I begin to think, what is it not that I want, but what is it that Christ might want, which can sound kind of like out there, but let's bring it down a little bit. So Jesus lifts our vision in the five particular ways he does that. The first one is right here in verses one and two, and that is, I want to say that in the lifting of our vision, we have a place to cultivate our dreams. What does that mean? In verses one and two, here's what I mean. Because we have a place, Jesus invites us, Paul invites us 
to place our desires, set our heart and our mind, the things that we're passionate about, that, that move us, and also the things we think about and process and wonder about. Take that part of us, and he said, and set it on Christ, who is seated with God in the heavenlies. Set it on him. Take my desires and set it on him. And what that means is, instead of, if, there's, if you can imagine for a minute with me, I don't know how to illustrate this well, so I hope this works, but if on this side of, of my life, if I wake up in the morning and I think, here's what I want to do with my life. Like, I want to go to college for this reason. I want to advance my career for this reason. I can think about the things that I might want to do. And it can become pretty quickly kind of selfish, even if I don't mean it to, but here's what I need. Here's a way to express my personality. Here's a way that I can get what I need. But at the same time, we can ask different questions that get to a good or better outcome, and that is this. What is it that as a child of God, God would want me to do in this world? How is it that I express what God has given to me in my experiences, my personalities, my habits, my own story, so that I can be a representation of the kingdom of God while I work, where I'm going, so that my future dreams are cultivated not just in my own personal thoughts, but my future hopes and dreams are cultivated as I'm also thinking about what God would desire. Let me take that out of the spiritual realm for a minute and put it in a very practical realm. When I grew up, I was incredibly uh, gifted at cleaning my room. I, <laughs> I did it like once a year, and it was amazing when I did that. Now, my parents would, I, I can't remember, they didn't really nag me on this that I have memory of, but they would have preferred most likely that I clean my room more often. In fact, I think I see them there. So I think we're getting at least a head nod, all right? And I didn't always make my bed. So, so that, that's just the way it was. Um, and at some point as a parent, you start, you, you, like you pick your battles, right? Like you pick your battles. So I didn't always make my bed, but you know, that's the way it was. Now, that, now here's the deal. I started dating Jen, my wife now. And, and, you know, through the course of dating, you end up in a house, and she sees my room, and, and then one time, I think I made my bed, and she made, like, hey, your bed looks nice. Whoa. All of a sudden, like, all of a sudden, I found motivation, you know, to make my bed. So, here's the deal. There are two different places where I'm in. O over here, I'm like, I'm, when I look at the bed situation, I'm not really motivated by my parents wanting me to do it, but all of a sudden, my girlfriend is like, that's cool. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. I do it all the time, all the time. Make my bed every day, you know, do that. It's a different place to live, right? It's a different place to live. It's a different place to be. And in a way, this is what Paul's saying, like, set your mind. You can set it over here and just, like, go through what do you want? Like, what do you want? What do you need? What's your future going to be? What do you want to get? You're going to get the best for yourself. Or if you have someone else whom you love and who loves you, and who has died for you, and they draw you to something more, you have a place to cultivate a kind of vision and a dream that on your own you don't have. I hope that makes sense. I'm trying to get the right kind of image for that. <laughs> it's not unlike maybe you say, how do you feel at work right now? Like some of you might be like, you know, honestly, I don't really like going to work. I need a new job. They don't appreciate me. I get that, all right? So I can wake up and I can have that mindset, or I can be like, listen, I don't like my job right now, but while I'm here, I need to ask myself the question, even though they don't appreciate me, how can I appreciate them? Even if I'm looking for another one, how is it that I can take my mind and heart and set it on Christ here in this space? Right? And so as we think about this, this is a place to cultivate our dreams. And so if you're young, you think about your future, what could be? I want to encourage you, this thing that Paul is saying is so powerful for you especially. Because he's saying, don't just wake up in the morning and think, man, what do I need? What do I want? But you have to also ask the question, where are my desires really placed? And if I ask the question, not just what do I want, but what is it that Christ might want me to be in this space? How can I use my gifts, not just to be a good teacher, but to be a teacher who allows the kingdom of God to come through me 
in my classroom, to be in healthcare so that the work that I do is the kind of work that bears fruit of the kingdom of God and the way that I can do it in my space. So this is a kind of vision, like set your heart, set your desires on the things of Christ is where Paul begins. And again, I could go on with this, but he goes further. He goes further, and check it out in verse 3. Here's the reason. He says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So this is the second thing that I want to say. Not only do we have a place to cultivate our dreams, but we also have a place of safety and security. I love the way that Paul writes this here in verse 3. This is such a powerful idea. He says, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Kind of a double hiding. What does he mean? For you died. That means you didn't really die, but our faith in Jesus is a faith in a, in a Savior who died himself and came back to life. And so our faith allows us, if you will, to die to ourselves so we don't have to keep fighting for our own life. We don't have to keep preserving our goals, our identity, our needs. We don't have to keep fighting for that. We can allow those things to die because the one that we believe in died and came back to life. And so like, for you died, for you died. And because of your death, now your life is hidden with Christ in God. You talk about a safe place to hide something. You talk about a place of safety and security. His point is the things of death that challenge you and make you afraid cannot get you here. What do I mean by that? Here's what death looks like in relationships. If you're in school, here's what death looks like. Death looks like shame. Like, oh, you did something wrong. You got in trouble. Your friends or your peers are going to think less of you. You're wearing the wrong clothes all of a sudden. You ever have those nightmares where you wake up, you're like, shoot, I was wearing the wrong clothes. Everyone thinks I'm a loser. What is that? That's death. That's a relational death. That's the feeling of being separate, cut off, losing what you have. And what Paul is saying is here, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Death cannot get you there. And so your confidence, meaning in life, identity for you, if you follow Jesus Christ, is set deeply in the character and the person of God and is hidden with Christ in God. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. We cannot be removed from the security of God's care if my family turns on me, if I lose what I have, if my reputation takes a major hit, all the things that can bring death. But Paul's saying, no, not, not here. And therefore, therefore, in a way, I can love you without hurting you. And you can love me without hurting me. Because you don't need to do things for me. Because my meaning and my identity, the place in which I operate, isn't based on what people think, but is based in Christ, in God. And therefore, I'm free to love you without needing you to do more for me. We have a place of safety and security. It's a vision of who you can be. It's a vision of who you can be. And it goes on in verse 5, verses 5 through 9. Paul keeps going about this death theme. He says, put to death. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but 
Now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Strong set of verses. And I wrestled with how to reconcile these verses with what I read in chapter 2. Now, if you're with us in chapter 2, we're reading ideas like um, Christ has canceled our debts in chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. That we have to be careful that we put things on without taking on human commands and teachings or regulations in chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. We see that there are I wrestled with how do I understand this idea to put off these things with what I just read in chapter 2, that Christ broke the power of these things. How do I reconcile what God has done through what I should, should do? And here's what I came to terms with. I'll put it this way up on the screen, that we are freed from the things that bring death. That these things that bring death to us, we are freed from their power. It is an absolute um, gift and privilege to be able to set aside things that previously, before faith in Christ, have a power that now they don't have. And Paul, therefore, recommends to us that we take the power that we've been given, and with that power, put it to death. Put it to death. Now, I don't know if this is a good analogy or not. You can tell me if it is later on, but it's almost as if, imagine that living in a home with a main level and a basement level, and you don't access the basement very much. But it's almost as if um, what Paul is saying is, listen, open the basement door, and in there, go ahead and throw down the steps, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Throw down there these things, that you, the ways you used to live, like anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. And also, just chuck in there before you close the door, lying, boom, close the door, there we go. Right? And live at the main level, right? Live at the main level. You have the power now to do that, and I don't think we have the power to do that. And we have responsibility here to do those things and to put them where they belong. But at the same time, what I've experienced personally, and this may not be your story, is I've experienced a whole host of um, human regulations and commands that have been put on me and that I've allowed to put on me that have become legalistic that have said, here's the right way to do this and the right way to do that, and here's what this means and here's what that means and here's what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do, and that is chapter 2. That's gone and powerless. And yet, in verse chapter 3, we are to do something with vices and pain that is in our past and in our present. What do we do with that? And I think I, what I see here is this idea that we've been this stuff has been put to death. It seems like we're living in the reality of our new faith because death is where we've come from through the resurrection. We've come this way. So these things listed are the things that bring death. They bring death to relationships, to the world, ourselves, and death is where they belong. And so he's saying, put to death these things that already bring death and allow them to go there. And that can kind of be hard, but I don't know what else to do with that except to say we now have the power and we're freed from these things. We don't have to pick them up again. Now, my experience, and maybe yours, is that the things that I throw in the basement don't always stay in the basement. And I don't always like to keep them in the basement because sometimes I want to access these things as relief, as a way to, to let go of my stress and frustration with life and anger. Frustration, of course, is a Christian word for anger or rage, right? But these things that I want to access sometimes, they are still there. But the gift of what Christ has done is that we are now able 
to put these things to death. Now, that happens over time. It isn't just right away, which leads to the next thing in verse 10. And he says, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And so this is the fourth thing that I see, that when Jesus lifts our vision, we can experience a kind of internal renewal. So having put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. And so if we kind of throw these things in the basement, so to speak, we close the door, now we live in this new space. What is this new space? This is so important. This idea of being renewed represents like an ongoing journey. We're continuing to walk in this journey of how we become renewed in the knowledge of our creator. Now, I've become convinced over time, uh, and you, you, you might think differently, and that's okay, um, I've become convinced over time the power of understanding your own story relative to this renewal, meaning each of us are different people. And so when I just read through that list of things that you chucked in the basement a minute ago, some of, some of you and, and me, like we each line up differently on our vices. So some of us wrestle more with anger than others, right? You know that. Some of us wrestle more with lust than others, right? Some of us wrestle more with pride than others. Some of us wrestle more with greed than others. Some of us wrestle more with uh, people-pleasing than others. Some of us wrestle with um, sloth more than others. Some of us wrestle with workaholism more than others. There's a whole host of things that can get us down, and, and each of our personalities and stories are different, right? So what about that? Isn't that interesting? When I look and I see the diversity, both of the beauty of God in you, but also the depravity of, of man, the struggle we each have, the reality is, if you're, I've, I've come to believe that if you're curious about your story, why do you wrestle with greed when someone else wrestles with lust? Why do you wrestle with anger when someone else wrestles with people-pleasing? Where's that coming from? What is that? What is that? How can I be growing in my understanding of that? And, and what I've come to terms with over the years is that the more that I can understand my own story and where, how I have gotten to where I have gotten, why are the vices that keep coming out of my basement door coming to me that don't come to you? Because not all those things I read bother me, but some do. Some I still wrestle with deeply. Why is that? And not others. But you wrestle with others and not the ones I do. What's up with that? Right? My story is different than yours. And so when I can allow and understand my own story, an origin story, where I've come from and how I've gotten here, then the more intentionally I can allow the gospel to speak to it. In other words, my pain is different than yours. And out of my pain and loss, I seek means of soothing myself. You do too. And here, Paul writes, you can be renewed, as he puts it here, being renewed in knowledge in the image of my creator. This ongoing renewal of a knowledge of my creator. And so if I have felt unloved, then there are things that I do to seek love that you don't seek. But you may have felt, you may have felt not seen in your home. And so the things that you do are to be seen. And the more that I can understand where I've come from and allow that to intersect with the gospel, where the gospel tells me and reminds me, you're loved, you're seen, you have peace, 
that anger you experienced in the home, I understand where that came from. It was because justice wasn't done. The gospel brings a sense of justice. And the more that I understand my own story and how the gospel delivers to me the very things that I want, the more I can be renewed internally. I can experience an internal renewal as I'm continuing in the knowledge and the image of my creator. That is how I experience this. Your story may be different, but that is how I experience this. Now, that being said, he finishes up with a very interesting conclusion as we're talking about this new self, verse 10. He says, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. I'm growing to understand how the creator God has stamped his impression on me. And then he finishes really uniquely in verse 11. He puts it this way. Here, here. Now, I'm reading from the NIV, so your version might be different, but just by way of understanding how the Bible works, you should know whenever that, that word here is there, I have to look back and say, where is it tied to? Where is it coming from? What idea is here tied to? Here is tied to this idea of the new self. He's saying the new self, inside of the new self, he's describing it further. The new self here, in the new self, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Now, it's very interesting. Put it this way, finally, said, I, I want to say we can experience relational renewal, not just internal renewal. One of the themes of the New Testament, by the way, is that the new man, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we move away from a singular, selfish way of living, as if I'm the one who engages the world, to a communal way of living, where I'm a part of a body that engages the world. That the Holy Spirit indwells in the New Testament, the, 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 all believers, that we move from being individual to being a part of a community and accepting it for what it is. All of the beauty and ugliness of the whole mess of it. All of it. And so this is so different for our kind of Western individualistic mindset here, but this is what Paul is saying, that here, that is in the new self, he says there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Christ is all in, it's in, in, in all. So what he's saying is part of coming to faith in Jesus, lifting our vision, is being able to say, I no longer have to, nor really want to pursue life for what it offers on my own. I have the beauty now being able to step into a community and hear your story and hear how Christ has worked in your story. Regardless of where you come from socioeconomically, regardless of where you come from in your personal background, regardless of what you believe, regardless of how you vote, where you grew up, what skin color you are, how you're oriented right now, regardless of anything here, he's saying there's no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. We now, the new self is being able to sit down, plop ourselves right into the middle of you, and you right into the middle of me, and saying, you know what? Let's do this thing together. How about a new vision of how to see the world? You don't have to be the best. How about that? You don't have to do this on your own. How about that? You don't have to be awesome. How about that? You can rely on me. How about that? I'm here for you. How about that one? We're completely different. What about that? But I'm here with you. I'm here for you. And let me remind you what God has done in me and, and through you. And so when I see what Paul is writing here, I go back to this idea at the beginning, that there's more to life than meets the eye. There's more to life than meets the eye. And, and it makes me really think about what Paul says here, that to, to set your heart, to set your mind on things above, this is where it begins. 
This is where it begins. And so I ask one question, and then I want to have a summary point. And the, my question is simply this, and that is where, is my, where are my desires set? Where are my desires set? As I think about my day, my week, I wake up and I pursue my interests and my uh, family obligations, my work obligations, my church and community obligations, my school and social obligations. Where are my desires set? It's a really hard question, believe it or not, to answer. What do I really want? You ever try to answer that? What do I really want? Not what do others want from me, but what do I really want? And this is where Paul begins. He's like, set your heart and set your mind. It's the idea of set your desires. That what drives you and what moves you isn't just what I need and what my family needs and what's going to be best for me, but that I can really set them on Christ. I can really set them on his kingdom. So I wanted a really super short summary sentence to wrap all this up. Ready for it? Here you go. <laughs> if you desire to know Christ, you will find yourself hidden in God, secure in your identity, freed from the power of things that bring death, and gradually experience renewal inside you and in your relationships. If you desire, if you wake up, if you face your week, you start out day by day, and you know what? You know what I want? I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to know him at work. I want to know what this means to be a mom. I want to know what this means to face my sickness right now by having my heart and mind set on Christ. You will find yourself hidden in God. In other words, you will not experience. Death cannot take you from this. It cannot strip you from your identity. You will all of a sudden be secure in who in the world you are, freed from power of things that bring death, and gradually experience a kind of renewal inside you and in your relationships. And maybe you can find a better way to shorten that. Let me know if you can. So what's my hope for you? A couple things. I'm going to ask you specifically to consider what, do you, what are your morning habit or habits that will help you establish concretely where are my desires set? I want to encourage you to ask that question. I want to encourage you to have a morning prayer that will simply give to God, listen, God, today, help me, help me, to set my desires on things above, to set my mind and my heart on you. The Lord's Prayer is a similar kind of prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right, I want to encourage you with that this week. All right, a morning prayer. I also want to encourage you to consider, if you haven't, what kind of spiritual relationships do you have? Because a part of the new man and the new self is being a part of a community where people in all of our glorious mess can help each other, can support each other. No longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, money or no money, resources or no resources, any skin color, any background, regardless of all that, that we actually find beauty in the diversity of that, and that is a part of not only the gospel message, but part of being the new man. So I want to encourage you to ask, do I have people? Who are my people? Do I have people who can help me? And if you don't, we would love to help you. Just write connect on your communication card in a minute, and we will be in touch with you for the connect groups that we have that can help you with that, even over this Christmas season. All right? And so this is my hope for you and, and for me, that if we desire to know Christ, 
we'll find ourselves hidden in God, secure in our identity, freed from the power of things that bring death, and gradually experience internal renewal and renewal in all of our relationships. That's a pretty cool place to be. Yeah? All right. Merry Christmas to you guys. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thanks for the chance to be here and to get into your word this morning. And um, we know that there's more to life than we see. It's deeper than we sometimes can kind of apprehend in the day-to-day. We just, we're, we're busy. We're going through things day by day, and there's things to do, lists to accomplish. And, and I get it, I get it, I get it. But Father, for those of us who have given up on what our marriage could be, what our future could be, what our career really could be, if we've given up on the, the fact that a sickness right now has really put a major roadblock in our life and we are not going to get to where we thought we were going to be or we've lost a job, we've lost a reputation, we're in shame and guilt about something or we're fighting a private sin and we don't want anyone to know about it and we just feel terrible about ourselves. We're overwhelmed with parenting or the, the stress of family and these things just, they just bombard us from different places, Father. And I, I pray for us that you would help us to do what Paul said. This is where it begins, to set our hearts and to set our minds on Christ. And to remember that through faith, we have died with him. And therefore, we're hidden with Christ in God. And death can't get us there. Fear can't get us there. Angst can't get us there. Loss can't get us there. I pray that you'd help us to be secure in that place by continuing day after day, moment after moment, to be renewed in the knowledge of our Creator, to function and to live from a place of strength and renewed vision, to see not only is there more to life than meets the eye, but there's more to faith than meets the eye. Father, we thank you for Jesus who lifts our vision and helps us see what can be in our lives, in our lives, in community together. So we love you, we thank you for this season for what you can do in us. In Jesus' name we pray.